Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 135. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, penis puppetry. Simon Morley and Friendy are the comedy duo better known as Puppetry of the Penis. They've been performing their penis art for more than 20 years. They've toured the world, sold out large venues, and now they are training other actors to do the show to franchise it out so they can perform in multiple places at once. I got them to talk about franchising a show, touring, why having no plan is actually a great strategy, and how not to care about awards and reviewers. I got loads out of this. I found it really fascinating. Uh, It was uh, the right time in the run at Adelaide for me to actually have this conversation with them, and it really sort of grounded me and centred me, and I found it very interesting. We did it in the garden of their flat in Adelaide, and as a result, there is a little bit of background noise and wind issue at points. I have done a fair amount of editing on this to eliminate a lot of it, but uh, there is still minor clacking, like clack, 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 clacking, but uh, I can't really do much about all of it, unfortunately. So uh, it's all audible, but I just wanted to make clear that I am aware that it is not perfect, but it is as close as I'm going to get it. I hope you're not all going mad, and I hope you're all staying indoors. I am stuck indoors, and I am just basically editing podcasts and creating extra content. If you want more content from me, you can find my other podcast, Simon Kane Quarantine. It's on iTunes, or at least it should be by the time you get this, uh, Spotify, and uh, you should be able to just find it by searching Simon Kane Quarantine Podcast. Uh, it's a little bit of chatter from me uh, about the news and about what it's like being stuck indoors and trying not to go in insane. Uh, Arguably we are all doing that and uh, it's just nice to feel not alone. So if you'd like to listen to that there should be a link in the show notes as well if you can't be fucked with Google. Also this is currently my only source of income which is very very depressing. So uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast up to this point or you are enjoying this podcast and you've not donated or you have donated and you want to do it again I would really appreciate any and all donations. You can do it as a one-off via PayPal or you can do it on Patreon from one dollar an episode uh for that you will get ad free episodes and you will also get a uh you get them ahead of time that's the thing i was gonna say and then i went to say something else any and all donations would be massively appreciated if you don't have any money do not sweat it i understand we are all struggling
struggling at the moment. But equally, uh, if you can donate, I would be really appreciative of appreciative appreciative of that. Oh my god, I've been indoors too long. If you're new here, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do remember to give us an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. And either way, please do join the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook. Obviously, I'll be doing a lot of Skype interviews with people in the next couple of weeks. And if you would like to get your questions asked to the industry leaders, even though the industry they work in is currently non-existent, you can do that via the Facebook group. But for now, this is puppetry of the penis. So basically, puppetry of the penis for me started um, as a party trick that I used to do with my brothers. Word got out that we had this special skill and we found ourselves getting invited to parties where we didn't know anyone. And I knew there was some way we could document these and maybe monetize dick tricks, but without putting our faces out there. I come from a very Catholic family and it would have killed my mother if I'd gone out there and proudly uh, started getting my penis out for everyone to see. So we thought a calendar was a perfect way to do this without putting our faces out there. Unfortunately, the calendar turned out to be a terrible idea. No one wants penis on their wall every day of the year. So the irony was I did the calendar so I wouldn't have to do a live show, but now I was in a situation where I needed to do a live show to sell the calendars. Right. Now, I'd, I'd been doing uh, dick tricks at uni for, I don't know, four or five years uh, before I met Simon. And we actually met each other in Byron Bay. We invented some tricks that day and then we didn't see each other for quite some time and when Simon was putting out the press release the calendar one of my friends rang me up because I'd done a show uh, for a radio station with a balaclava on because I was working for Norwich Investments at the time (laughs) so that's where I came from and uh, I think Simon was that you were actually working in the bar at that point at the bar that I actually did the show at and he thought someone had come along and stolen his idea but actually it was me who we'd met five years earlier is there a i mean or was there a it was that like a thing back then were lots of other people doing dick tricks because i assume now you could probably type into the internet dick tricks and you would have found each other a lot quicker so i'm wondering whether yeah. that was just a, that was a uni thing back then it's it's not uncommon for australian men to kick off their pants and entertain their friends after a couple of drinks <laughs> i think stuff, yeah yeah <laughs> i mean th- these things were born out of male sporting change rooms mm-hmm. you know i think you'll find most of the australian cricket team <laughs> really finn <laughs> come on buddy um like you said someone starts doing yeah exactly the we start <laughs> Um, yeah, basically, I think you'll find most of the Australian cricket team and the rugby team, they're all ca- very capable of doing hamburgers. So um, I tried. I, I think it. you did <laughs> yeah, have to go. Try. I, I, I almost got it sorted. Yeah, well, I'm, no, I'm a grower. Practice so, makes perfect. So, you know, had to, oh, you got to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be able to bend it. Yeah, yeah. That's, our, that's our only motto. We never work hard. That's right. <laughs> but you've got to, um, I mean, I, I think... This could only have come from Australia. One is there being a, a suitable climate. You know, this wouldn't have started in England. No. The one thing you don't want to do is get your penis out and entertain your friends when it's freezing cold. No. No. You know, I think just the time was ripe. I'm not saying we were the only ones doing this, but we certainly took it way too far and took it to the people. We, we, mm. we did a tour of Australia in 1998, mm. and there we would 
turn up at some towns and there would be a guy come you know, tap us on the shoulder afterwards and go, oh, I've got one you haven't done. I've got one you haven't done. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he'd, yeah. he'd show us uh, what they've got. Show us, their, uh, show us their tricks that they've been doing around their footy club or their cricket club or whatever. So, so was your original audience kind of laddie or did it kind of because i've noticed that recently you're doing like bachelorette stuff in yeah, vegas right so obviously that's a completely different market and i'm wondering how that sort of evolved from a to z well yeah, yeah in australia it definitely started it was very much secret men's business and we're right. taking it out to the people but um then the, the 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 girls started to get curious about what we were doing and of course it, you know i mean when we take this show to england it gets a little chippendalish mm. and we don't get any men but i think here in australia and certainly in parts of europe and even canada men are a lot more comfortable watching you know this sort of behavior mm. <laughs> <laughs> not show <sure>, behavior <laughs> yeah it's behavior yeah <laughs> it might be bad behavior but it's behavior so when you first did a show, like I assume it was you you're watching together to see how mm-hmm. it how it works. Was it a case of I mean, how long was the first show? Did, did you have an hour's worth of them? Or uh, no, I think we went about yeah. twenty five minutes. Yeah, we didn't go very long yeah. at all. We had a list. We basically just wrote down all the tricks and we tried to group them together and then we tried to introduce them a bit like like a, a setup to a gag and then the punchline is the trick. Yeah, uh, and that. When we first started, we didn't really have very good introductions, and they, that just developed over time. So, mm. and we were we we're, were pretty nervous, so it was, we rushed through that first one. But it, the people were really cacking themselves, so we knew we were onto something. Yeah, definitely. And and how long did you? I mean, how quickly did you get a following? Then, I mean, was it just sort of trying it in your hometown and seeing how it worked? I mean, did it did moved management... pretty quickly. We, yeah. And we had some people on uh, Australian radio that got right behind us and thought it was hilarious. So right. there was a lot of talk about it. And so when we finally hit the road with it, there was, you know, there was a lot of expectation and people were very curious to see it. I mean, it actually makes great radio because you can't see anything and you can just hear yeah. people laughing up and you're hearing someone talking about he's made a pelican out of his genitals and <laughs> the, the images that yeah. congers up is wonderful. So, yeah, uh, I think that worked well for us. Do you, do you think it could start now? I mean, with, with uh, the way that sensibilities changed? Do you I, think don't so? no, I don't reckon so. I don't reckon it's really, really changed. I mean, it's 22 years ago that we started. Yeah. And the, uh, it's really, cons- things have become very conservative, you know. The kids these days are happy to Snapchat their penis or their vagina and uh, send it out, but they're not happy to get nude necessarily. Or they find mm. nudity, uh, you know, disgusting or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like they've got, it's a very different uh, generation that we're dealing with right well, now. Well, you just look at the university campus, campuses because when we first started, we were being booked to play all these universities. You mm. know, it was a perfect show for them. But now there's no way you'd get a booking on campus. Mm. Yeah. Um, there'd be protesters. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, I heard there was in New, Ze- New Zealand, didn't you get? Oh, we've had protesters. We've had a lot yeah, of protests. Everywhere. But, you know, they're usually a couple of, you know, religious quacks out there with their signage. And, mm. you know, we, we don't mind them. If anything, they sell us tickets. So There was yeah. a whole town that bound us uh, uh, in Australia for quite some time. Bundaberg. North Queensland, which yeah. ironically make the rum that made us start doing that's, these. That's right. We yeah. were drinking the rum that came from that town <laughs> when wow. we invented some of the tricks. But then they had a very, very conservative mayor who wouldn't allow because that their only uh, their only theatre was council owned, and he wouldn't let us perform there. 
and that happened and that's happened in the UK it's happened in the US most of middle America we still haven't been allowed to go to yeah because so. there's a lot of conservative people own the theatres over there mm. yeah I find, I find uh, the way I mean particularly in England there's a lot of they, they say it's not censoring but in reality I feel like it's more censoring than they think it is oh absolutely yeah definitely um, I mean look the, the other problem for us is it used to be 20 years ago when we started this you would go into a local town you'd run an ad in their local newspaper and that would reach everyone now with social media mm. we're not allowed to advertise on any social media uh, that they, they yeah. don't want our money they've got us marked as a uh, as a sex show as an adult show mm. which is you know it's 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 just not right but we get caught up in this loophole, you know, and 20 years ago, like when we got to England, we were featuring on The Big Breakfast, mm. you know, the big, it was the number one rating show in England at that time. We mm. did The Tonight Show in the US, we did The Footy Show and a few other things here, but now we really struggle, you know, people just don't even want to say the anatomically correct word, penis. Yeah. <laughs> I, I personally don't Snapchat and I have no interest in that platform, Right. but I know what people are using it for. And really, Tell you me. would. What, what is it? <laughs> well, it's mainly penis shots, apparently. Oh, is it? Okay. It's, it, it's, it's the one boobs. where, yeah, boobs and pe- it's mainly where you, if you if you want to send it, but you don't want it to exist anymore after they've seen it, is is, right. is that platform? But it does exist. It's on. Yeah, it's, oh, sorry, it's on a hard drive somewhere. somewhere. Exactly. And, and you'd think if you your, your dick pics would be more favoured because they're right. more interesting than just badly lit. That's that's why the the hen's night started up, because girls didn't want to necessarily see strippers and have that sexy stuff going on, Mm. where they could laugh at the male genitals rather than have it all sexy and be uncomfortable in that situation. Definitely, definitely. And And I suppose, like you said, I mean, social media is such a really important marketing tool now. Yeah. If you can't use it, or I mean, are people allowed to... Upload photos and tag. I mean, you know, sure, surely that'd get them in trouble, and then would that get you in trouble? Like, is that it, it won't you get us in trouble. But we, I mean, I've I've had our Facebook and our Instagram shut down on many occasions, and I'm sure we're teetering on the edge now. You know, <laughs> they might actually finish us once and for all, which would be rather disastrous for us. So yeah, we're you know we very much rely on the people that come to the shows to share it out. I mean, we've always been a big uh, water cooler show. And by that, I mean, you know, back when we first started, you can imagine everyone at the at work the next day on their break, standing around a water cooler going, you would not believe the show I saw last night. Mm, yeah. And that, you know, anyone we thought, anyone that came to see our show would, whether they liked it or not, tell 10 other people about mm-hmm. it. It's just therapy that you've got to get through. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that we've still got that appeal and, you know, that's still getting the word out there because whereas we're extremely well-branded around the world in over 38 countries mm. and we have been going for like over 20 years, there's a whole new generation or several generations that have no idea of our existence. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to get the word out there. Well, let's, I let's start from the beginning then. So, so you've both discovered each other, so to speak, and you've... <laughs> Too you've, much of each other. Well, <laughs> I mean, there was nothing left by the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. One big night in Byron Bay. Exactly. Um, and, and you've decided to work together. I mean, there was a period where you didn't talk to each other, but then you got back in touch. Yeah. And you decided to work together there and then, was it? Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm just ignoring it now. We, before we started, we said, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be maintenance works and people doing construction the minute we start. And... <laughs> Lo and behold. Life in the city. <laughs> Life yeah. in the middle of uh, Adelaide. So 
was it was it there and then you thought well hang on if you've got a trick and i've got a trick this might be a show well would, simon had the calendar right yeah so then he had to do he, he put advertised the show which was going to be run in the Melbourne Comedy Festival in April 1998. I actually thought my, I was hoping my little brother was going to do the show with me, and he was going to do the show. But then about five, or about a week beforehand, he got news that he had a recurring role in Neighbours. Okay. And he figured that much like, you know, Russell Crowe or Kylie Minogue, doing a little dick show would uh, ruin his soon-to-be reputable theatre and acting career. So he bailed out, and then luckily... Um, Friendy saw that we were that I was planning on doing a show and jumped on and that was it. That's where we were born. Okay, and and like you said, the first show was about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah. The second show and it was it was hilarious. Yeah, the first one went about half an hour and it was big laughs all the way through. Mm. But we did have a lot of family and friends in that first show. <laughs> the second show was still quite a good audience, but it was drawn out. It was, you know, it was a bit longer. It was about 40 minutes, but it was just, it was terrible. Right. Um, <laughs> people weren't laughing. And then we thought, okay, this isn't as easy as what we thought. We're going to have to put some work into this. So mm. then we started coming up with jokes and, you know, structuring the show in a smarter way. Was it? So was your intention for it to be a comedy show from the off or was it meant to be sort of a, a trick show? Like what, what, was, what was your thinking behind it with those shows? It, I'd, I'd done quite a few shows. And I'd done in comedy a, or...? or uh, I'd done shows, just dick trick shows at yeah. uni in front of a lot of people. So I knew the reactions it would get. Yeah. Simon had done it for his mates who were a lot of comedians and stuff. So, yeah. And he knew you get comedians laughing, that's a pretty hard task. Yeah. So we knew... The, the reactions that we got early days, people were, would laugh uncontrollably. They would lose their shit. Mm. Uh, so we knew there was something there. Mm. Uh, it just had to be, as we say, it just had to be polished up a bit, didn't it? It, it, it could have gone one or two ways. I mean, it could have been, for the rest of our days, we could have been unemployable and those guys that did that <laughs> weird little dick show. <laughs> or if we crafted it properly, and um, I also was very aware of the fact, because I'd been overseas, I'd been to Edinburgh, and I knew that if you've got a show like this, there's very visual and it can cross language barriers, yep. this could be a huge bonus. So it was either going to, one or two ways, it was going to go gangbusters or it was just going to, pretty much ruin our lives so that was up to us yeah and uh you know luckily we made it go the other way you went balls in well yep. we did we did we did that tour and by the end of that tour we had a pretty decent show yeah we had good hours show mm -hmm. had you know good reviews is it getting reviews good. by that point not, not so really. much we got a couple of good reviews for the melbourne comedy festival right not so much when we took it around australia um, when we went to Sydney, we got pretty good. We got some pretty good write-ups in Sydney. When we went to Harold Park Hotel, yeah, we really smashed it there. Because so, I'm because I'm wondering what was causing word of mouth. Whether it was the nature of the, to sell the show, I imagine it's just you can get a one-line pitch quite easily. Yeah, and that that you know then 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 uh, you know the advantage of that is it turns on the people that want to so to speak turns on the people that want to come and see it and turns off the people that are like that's no, not for me. Right, which is what you want yeah. from a show really. Right. Yeah. Well I mean in Melbourne we had a, a, a girl come and review us for the biggest newspaper the age there. Yeah. And her quote was it might be too early to um, to say this to to, to to name a best best outright show of the festival. But puppetry of the penis, you know, might. So she was alluding to the fact that early in the festival, so we just took that outright best show of the festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we ran with that. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, we, we also had the number one uh, national radio drive 
show right behind us as well. So wherever we went in Australia in that tour, mm. they were expecting us. Yeah. They, they'd already heard of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that it wasn't like we had to go ahead and have the the newspaper articles with the the quotes and the and the mm. reviews because two three times a week we're getting a mention on this massive radio show yeah definitely yeah and who was i mean i assume you didn't have any press or pr person by this point it was no. just the two of you yeah. so how were you getting this kind of coverage were you just emailing in what was the process i, I was i was a comedy promoter so i was already working right. with some of the best comedians in the in the country mm. um people like jamoan and whatever um i'd been touring with for years so we knew pretty much everyone that was on the television and the radio right um so then it was just pretty much pulling in some favors definitely mm. It's sort of like a gamekeeper gone poacher or whatever, you know, that right. sort of changing yeah, 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 side. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so did you always want to become a performer and it just happened that you were doing promotions? Not or? really. I've always seen myself more of as, as, as a producer. Um, and, you know, I probably, you know, might have uh, got someone else to do the show if there was anyone else to do the show. But, um, yeah, I, I, it was more of a necessity to jump the fence rather than a choice. Right. So but, do, but once I did, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So, do you have an agent then, or are you the agent? No. Well? Uh, we we have people sort of. we have people around the world that we work through, you know. Yeah. But um, we pretty much look after ourselves. Yeah. How did you meet, or at what point did you meet people that were starting to to? Well, first of all, who was the first person to believe in your act? Who was from the industry, and how did you start to meet these people who were going to help you tour it? Um, well, as I said, I already knew these people like the, the people that were touring us mm. i mean i had been working with those guys for about six years already through you know doing tour, tours with jamoan and people like that mm. so we were we were in a good position there and when we i mean it was still when we were touring around australia we were still doing anywhere from 50 to 250 people you know and primarily playing some pubs maybe the odd theater here yeah. and there mm. Then we went to Edinburgh and we were playing 150 seater at the Pleasance, but that just went gangbusters straight away. And we were expecting to go back to Australia straight after that, but we got lured straight onto the West End where we were doing a thousand seat theatre, eight shows a week. And we never sort of looked back from there. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's, can we put a year on that? So when did you sure, go to 2000, Edinburgh? 2000. 2000. Yeah. Okay, so you've been doing the show for what's that, 10 years, 11 years? No, oh, no, two. no, no. Oh, two. So I, I said really started. only properly won because we did it in 98. Oh, that's right. And we then I had a year oh, off. Right, okay. We didn't do 99 at all. Yeah. Right, okay. Maybe so, two shows right at the end. And then so, we did a few shows around Australia just to yep. raise some money to take us ourselves to Edinburgh. Yeah. And yeah, then we launched in Edinburgh in 2000. And, and, and what made you want to, because, I mean, in, in the nice way possible, 150 seats in Edinburgh is a hard sell for a lot of acts because yes. it's, it's, the, it's the biggest arts festival in the world. So what made you want to go with such a big we room? Thought, we actually first? thought that we could have got closed down on the first day because the you know, Mary Whitehouse situation was still very really? high back then. Okay. So we were expecting that we could get our publicity mm. from being banned or being... <laughs> ashamed or yeah. something like that but there was that year there was like four or five shows that involved nudity and penises yeah and i'd been to edinburgh a couple of times before i'd, mm -hmm. I'd gone along with jamal when he first uh, was having a crack at it in fact i'd been twice with him so um i knew the importance i knew what a wonderful marketplace it was and you know the greatest marketplace in the world for a bit of foolish mm. behavior like we were looking at doing so i knew if you know this was the one-stop shop for us
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and so and so it went literally to the West End, or was there like a gap between that time? Literally to the West End. Did you get nominated? September, like we opened uh, in the middle of September. Did you get nominated that year then? I don't know. Because no, normally we, that's we, what we, happens, you get nominated and then you get the West End. Yeah, run, no, so. no, we, we didn't get nominated at all. Yeah. No. Um, like we did extra. We did extra shows. Yeah, yeah. But we never got nominated. We, we, we were certainly one of the hits of the festival, <laughs> yeah. and we uh, most of our run was sold out in the yeah. first, you know, week and a half. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, where we rarely win awards. I think when we on the West End, the Garden the Guardian voted us the uh, the best new show mm. on the West End. But that's about all we've ever won. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, because we're not really interested in the awards. We'll just we'll take the crowds and the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's kind of odd because you know awards uh, are perceived as things that help you sell stuff, right? But in reality, they're sort of a byproduct of having a show that you know selling. You know, you look at guys like Phil Nickel and Brendan Burns, who yeah. both won the Perry Award. Oh yeah, and it really it didn't make much difference to them at all. You know, yeah. um, Phil probably could have won it three or four times yeah, now. Oh he's, yeah, he's amazing. Know, he's amazing. Yeah, but uh, both of them are. Yeah, you know, it, it's it really it doesn't mean so much anymore. I don't think. No, but I, I thought it would have done in two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think no. Garth Marenghi won that year, and he was. He, poor Garth was he was next door to us while we were on we were on at the same time at the Pleasant oh he was underneath right? and, and at the end of his show it was the big reveal for his murder mystery mm. and of course the end of our show is just squealing and screaming and, stomping. and people stomping their feet yeah. and it's amazing that he even got through a single show uh, because we should have ruined every one of it but yeah he won the award that year yeah with Richard oh, wow. Richard uh, Ayub uh, are you Artie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in the show, that show as well, and uh, um, Alice think, as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so so you so it's two thousand. You're in the West End. How long did that run run for? Do you remember? Uh, uh, it was going to be six weeks, and we ended up doing just under six months. Six months. Okay. And and what's happening behind the scenes at that point? Are, are you having discussions about touring at other places? Are you thinking about Edinburgh again? What what are you, where's your mind at, at this point? Are you how are you capitalising on that intention? See, we'd taken on. Um, we were picked up for that by a guy called David Johnson, who was a producer, um, and he took us to the West End. And then he started uh, managing us as well. Um, we very quickly got signed up to do, well, after um, the West End, we went back to Australia for the Melbourne Comedy Festival and we, we decided there. to do... Did yeah, we just we, went... We, we, we okay. went back to a big thousand-seat theatre and it was sold out like crazy. Oh, wow. The, did, the yeah. festival goes for a month, but our show ended up running for about four and a half months there. So what we realised very quickly what we could do is train up another company. Yeah. and, and uh, franchise so that's what we did we held auditions while we were there <laughs> and we trained up another company so we finished the month-long comedy festival and then put in this other team to keep the show running while we uh, went and did a tour of the UK which was you know gangbusters as well we were doing big 2,000 seaters and selling doing it to two shows mm -hmm. a night and during um, that time they were, they were preparing to go to Montreal as well yeah, yeah, so that comes after that. Yeah. yeah. So well, uh, okay. Well, while we're in this sort of time frame, uh, you've gone from a fifty or like above, above pub, maybe fifty seater, yeah, to a hundred and fifty mm -hmm. for, for a month, which you yeah. know equates to a few thousand, yeah, yeah, to a thousand seaters. Yes. Yeah. How are you having to evolve the show to accommodate that? I mean, I know now you have like projectors <coughs> and things, but yeah, how we how? always had the projector. The projector okay. was even in the fifty seater. Yeah, absolutely. That's oh, okay. Simon. Simon, when I did the show, when I had the mask on. Simon was at the bar and couldn't see right. what I was doing, but knew that I was doing dick tricks. Right. So that's where Simon went, 
we need to put us we need to put we just used to hang a sheet up mm -hmm. and project onto the sheet mm -hmm. and that changed everything because the people at the back could see mm -hmm. all right it couldn't didn't have to just be the people in front of you Mm -hmm. And the shock factors, you know, I mean, everyone, sure, there's one thing, a guy pulling his dick out, but to have it projected three stories high on a screen right in front of you, that's another thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, but then when, we, when we went to the West End, we started working with a penist on stage. Okay. Uh, right, so... Everything was elevated. And there was lighting, yeah. and there was sound. We so got proper capes made. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to actually write a script down yeah. so every, all that um, ad-libbing and all that loose just working off a list mm. became an actual script where there was cue lines and lighting cues and all that sort of stuff we'd like to say that, that really you can't changed. polish a turd but you can roll it in glitter and that's <laughs> yeah. i think what we did we just gave ourselves a good roll in glitter and oh yeah, yeah. it was completely coated in glitter <laughs> <laughs> okay and and because i because i'm wondering you know there's a lot of people who especially after edinburgh if they get a big burst of success yeah the show has to change with what's happening, right? Um, and also, and also, your audience is going to change there because you're going from hometowns and where you are, and like yeah. sort of the place where you've you've always been, yeah. To uh, even though you've been there before, effectively the other side of the world, yeah. Where, as you say, sensibilities are different. The British uh, sort of inability to maybe be okay with a penis as much as Australians, uh -huh. and then and then moving it to London, where in particular, that's more of a thing. So, so were there any other elements that you had to maybe drop or change, or was it like you were just we're sticking to what we're doing because well, you've booked it anyway? I think people really enjoyed the Australian side, you know, the Australian mm. aspect of our show. Right. Um, so th they were more than happy on our first runs, and no one when we came into the town for the first time, no one's ready for what we're doing. Mm. You know, it is very confronting and it's very full on. It's like nothing they've ever seen before. Mm. Still to this day, we can go somewhere where we haven't been before, and uh, you know, just people shake their heads and just wonder what the hell's going on. <laughs> so um, I, I we didn't have to do much. We'd localize it a little bit, like we will try and do local landmarks and localize our material a little bit. But pretty much, people loved the Australian larrikin um, side of yeah, what so we the, were doing. Yeah, so the, the essence. The essence remained exactly the same from the small theatre to the large theatre. The, the the essence is exactly the same. That's that was what that's what the what sold the tickets. The right. one word that kept popping shop. up in in uh, in reviews was charming. You know, <laughs> even though it was confronting and horrific and you know hilarious, it was it was still charming. Because so we yeah, we were comfortable with our nudity. You know, after a few minutes, it could be you know, it could be an elbow, it could be any part. It was yeah, disarming. Yeah. Did you charming. ever did you ever feel like because you're not clothed? Is there any sort of routine or regimented, or do you like watch your diet? Like, was there any part of you that felt like you know we're now standing in front of a thousand people I, a night? I think our, may, may, yeah. did you, I think did our you diet really during the West feel End like that pressure, especially at the West End. Not West, really. Our West End diet was three three ducks a week, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> three roast ducks from Chinatown. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, we we pretty much. I mean, the the whole essence of what we were doing is, you know. We have no skeletons in the closet. We are completely naked. You're laughing at our genitals. We have nothing more to give you. We're, and so there, there was absolutely yeah. no buff. shame whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you started to think about that and started you know, covering little bits and pieces up and trying to, as soon as any vanity w was to creep in, we would have lost the essence of what we were doing. No, totally. But 
I could see why it might have even entered your mind for a second when, you know, you're on the West, you know, that's yeah. like everyone's, or a lot of people's big goal is to be a West End star or, uh-huh. be, or be on the West End. And, <laughs> and there's part See, of, it wasn't our goal. We just sort of slipped into it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We didn't realise what we were doing until it was, you know, that's until we amazing. were right in the middle of it. That's yeah. the amazing part of yeah. this for me is like the yeah. fact that, you know, it's sort of the more I talk to people about their careers and what they're doing the more you realize especially from the industry side the more you realize they've not like the ones that are doing well haven't really got a plan like the ones that are doing well they sort of just want to do the show that they're doing yeah and that feels very much like what you're doing right is that fair? We're yeah, still, yeah, absolutely. Still doing it. And, and I mean and, that in a nice way that you haven't got a plan. I'm not saying that yeah. discredit at all. No, no. And I mean, but every 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 territory we moved into was a brand new thing. No one had mm. taken a show like this in there before. So it wasn't just new for us. It was new for the producers. It was mm-hmm. new for the audience. This was, uh, you know, it was a brave new world everywhere we turned. So yeah. the, the one thing that, that did change after we came back to Australia in 2001 was that we cloned the company yeah so we cloned the show and once that was up and running then that gave us the opportunity to think well we can do that in this country in that country we did it in french we did it in spanish we did it Mm. in argentina we did it in mexico that's the beauty of this is that because it is mainly visual it can be it's a bit like i was talking to sam wills in take face about this and he's doing a similar thing at the moment where he's like cloning himself essentially so that he can do it in more places yeah and i always find that sort of interesting because like you said i've seen the originals so so does anyone ever sort of get a bit not annoyed but like i really want to see the original no people don't they don't don't have a clue they don't don't have a clue like what we because we have our dvd that we sell at the shows and we have uh, we've had 60 people that we've trained up over the years and they go out and they'll sell that DVD and they've told us in times before they've gone who were these guys yeah we thought we thought it was you yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean so they don't really know and it's like if you go to any any West End show you don't know you're getting the swing actor if someone's having the day off necessarily mm. you know yeah. what I mean unless it's a really famous person yeah you just it's just whoever's doing the show um, but yeah. I, I guess and, I, and again I mean it's not to do a disservice you're not necessarily the famous element in, in a way that other people might be. No. Because, because you are, you, it's essentially your genitals that are the main focal point, yeah, not you. Right. Look, I mean, well, I can do a show in front of a thousand people and afterwards walk into the foyer and most people still don't recognise you. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask, yeah. And I mean, but, but I've, I, as I said, I'm, I've got a lot of good friends who are sort of in the rock business or in the comedy business mm. who have high profiles and you know they they find it hard going out and they get hassled a lot we don't get any <coughs> excuse me we don't get any of the uh, the bad trappings only the good trappings and pause we're in the middle bit well i hope you're enjoying this podcast i am adoring hearing about how having no plan but very stretchy balls and a lot of drive has built them a career i also loved hearing their thoughts on political correctness and how they couldn't start now it's really interesting to hear people be so honest and open about that sort of thing and how the climate on in comedy and the zeitgeist has shifted and changed and how they are adapting and adjusting to that i need to eat so here comes your mid-roll advert Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Did you get an advert? If you didn't, uh, well, first of all, sorry about the weird pause in the middle. Uh, if you didn't get an advert, that means that there is no money coming my way for this episode. Uh, if you did get an advert, it means I got 0.2p for this podcast. Uh, I'm currently stuck indoors and I have no other means of income. So if you are enjoying this and you have a job, like a day job that is bringing you in money, I would really appreciate some donations. Uh, you can do that as a one-off on PayPal or you can become a Patreon from $1 an episode. Is this worth 80p? I think it is. I actually think it's worth a lot more than that, but equally, I am only asking you for whatever you can afford. In the second part of this podcast, we'll be looking at their relationship with social media. We'll also be looking into the future of the show and a potential Netflix deal, as well as the advice that they would give their past selves. Let's dive back in. So, did, did yeah, I was going to ask, like, is it ever frustrating that you're not better known then? Oh, no, I, I would much prefer it that way. Yeah. We yep. do know people who can't go out. You know, it's not a lonely existence by any stretch, but it's uh, you know, it's annoying. it's annoying that you can't go down to the shop and not get hassled. Your time's not your own. That's yeah. right. It's sort of yeah, you're owned by you're owned by the public. Yeah. yeah. And have you have you done anything else that has engineered that? Like, have you done any decisions specifically to make sure that you're not I, as well known as you could have been? I always wore a a hat and glasses on stage. Right. And I used to always joke. Well, when that started because I worked for Norwich Investments. Right. Right. So I was working. Uh, you were that at Norwich Investments, and it was. Yeah. <laughs> so that then went on to oh, I don't want my mum. You know, I don't want people taking photos. I don't want my mum to see me in the. So I had this disguise, mm. uh, and that just became part of the act after after a while. But I never really worried about the um, anonymity of it. But it meant that I could I could walk out into the crowd even more easily because I yeah. could walk out without a hat on and no one would even know who I was. It's just something I'd never really thought about because it was never such an issue. But f- for me, it was always about half of the joke and half of the appeal and the bravery of it all was just not caring and, mm-hmm. and pretty much saying, this is me, this is everything, take it or leave it. So... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's never really been an issue, to be honest. We're lucky in that respect. Yeah, all, all the best comedians, I think, uh, care about the audience, mm. but they also don't care because they sort of have to, to have that detachment. It'll do your head in if you care too much. Yeah, you know, you've got to you've got to have a life 
mm. elsewhere. You know, I mean, I've got I've got friends who who literally can't go to the supermarket and they mm. won't because they get too ang- you know they get anxiety and whatever and they always do get hassled. Um, but you know. That's he can't write material about going to the supermarket anymore. You know, it's yeah. like he's he's losing a big chunk of his life, and for me, that would be terrible. No, definitely, definitely. So we're at what, what year are we at with cloning the company? That's two thousand and one. And then probably the next uh, up to two thousand and five, roughly, uh, we opened in reopened in france and we did it in as i said before in argentina and mexico we had two companies running in the u.s i think two to at one point there was three i think well there was one saturday night where we had seven companies running around the world yeah so so how different languages so how are you picking where they're going they they choose us so they come to you and say we'd love to learn this and take it to our country yeah look basically if it's somewhere like argentina mexico spain or france where where it has to be done in a foreign language Mm -hmm. we license the show out we'll go over audition for them train them up and then they pretty much do their show um but if it's like somewhere like canada or america we would co-produce it ourselves right so it's like a franchise. In yeah, absolutely. So, so what we used to do as the publicity mm. is that we would run auditions. In e- each place that we did a show of any, any length, even if it was just one week, mm. we would always promote a, an audition session and people would turn up. And we were doing it mostly for publicity. Mm-hmm. But every now and again, there'd be someone to just go, oh, we've got to keep that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, Definitely. And, and I'm wondering whether, so, so is it a case of you charge a license fee per show or is it a case of the venue will give you a cut of the ticket sales? How do you operate like that? It depends. If, it, it depends oh, on yeah, the producer. Very. Like, you know, say the Italians are mm. classically known for not paying any royalties. So you'll make sure that you get a decent chunk of the front end. Up front. Whereas, you know, there might be a more reputable partner and you can see some, some profits being paid on the back end so you'll mm. take a, a bigger chunk of the back end it all depends on who you're dealing with yeah. do, you, do you have a preference no not really because you know okay. i mean th- there are times where we sign license agreements knowing there is no way we're going to get any back end from them right. even though it's in the contract right so we just are happy to take that big chunk at the front right okay <laughs> so so at the moment how many have you got licensed around the world? It's not so much at the moment. We've got a show running in Vegas that we yeah. do produce ourselves. And then um, there's going to be some shows in the UK this year. There's some stuff in Berlin happening and the show running here. But Friendy and I, we decided to just pull it back. And um, we started enjoying doing the show again ourselves. So um, this is the first time we've been doing the show together for about a decade. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I've, I reckon our last shows I did were about two thousand and eight, or maybe right. nine. Right. And one when my son started going to school, basically, because right. he was on tour with us the whole time. And and was that a sort of you don't want him seeing the show decision? Oh no. It, no. No. Just that he's. Why? When when we got him to school, it was like it's no good to tour with them. Oh, I get you. Okay. And I didn't like. If, we, we started doing just weekends, mm-hmm. uh, so we'd do bigger shows on the weekends, mm. and if I had done that, I would be going on a Friday afternoon, mm. coming home on a Sunday afternoon, Yeah, he'd be back at school on Monday, so it would be, the only time that I would see him would be the small period after school. Right. You know, I yeah. didn't want to do that, I wanted to be there all the time. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. 
So, so we're at, we're at 2001. You're cloning companies at this point, and and you're sort of sending them off to do the show. Mm-hmm. You're still doing the show at this point. Yeah. So Simon and I, basically, we split and we got a partner, a like separate one of partner. the other guys. So yeah. yeah. So there was an original. Like Simon did Chicago and Boston and all these other places, and I was I was in Europe at some points. And well, let's let's back up a little bit because in 2001 we went to we did our tour of the UK and mm-hmm. then we went to the Just for Last Festival mm-hmm. in right. Montreal which is it's the Edinburgh of Europe you know it's, it's like it's, it's the yeah. greatest marketplace for North America mm-hmm. so we went in there and most people get to do a 10-15 minute spot as part of a compilation show mm-hmm. whereas we got to do our entire show oh, wow. in a beautiful little theatre and Plus we did the yeah. we did the, the three weeks of the festival and then we ran on and also did the French festival mm-hmm. and so we made a conscious effort to learn some of our show in French mm-hmm. um, and that was the first time that we uh, yeah, transgressed right. <coughs> language barriers mm-hmm. and we thought okay this can work in other parts of the world mm-hmm. um, so but that was also and then from there we went to Toronto which was the traditional stepping stone to go into New York you either go Toronto or Chicago right and that's how you move into New York if you, you have to make a success success of one of those okay so it's like your show has to has to prove itself in yes because I always thought it was Boston was a good one for getting into New York because a lot of comics... That, that, that's another stepping stone. Another yeah. One? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but w- w- we went for Toronto and, I mean, we did extremely well in Toronto right. and our New York season was all set up. Was We'd gone in it. there, we'd done uh, a press junket. Mm-hmm. We pretty much came back to... We would we were getting ready to to get out of toronto but we thought the show's still going so well so we started doing auditions to train up some boys to keep the show going there mm-hmm. and we were i'll never forget we we're on breakfast radio doing some live auditions and it was going really well um and there was a big plasma screen up there in the studio and i remember just something catching my eye and just seeing this plane hanging out of a tower or going into a tower and then that was that, that was nine eleven. Nine eleven. We were meant to open, and that was two weeks to the day before we went to New York. Wow. Yeah. And we were due to open on, uh, you know, we were going to open four days after nine eleven, which is not the best time to no. open a penis show or any show. No. Um, and so we were we were in real turmoil there. Do we cancel the show? Do we move forward? Um, we had to, you know, the, the best advice we got was from just people out of bars, just, you know, do you think it would be inappropriate? And they're going, look, if ever we need a laugh, it's yeah. right about now. So we were one of the only shows to survive on Broadway and off-Broadway, mm. survive that 9-11 experience. Yeah. Mm. And we ended up running on 42nd Street for about nearly two years. That, that seems to be, and, and it was also sensibility when I came over here. So the American sensibility around 9-11 was, we don't want the terrorists to win, just carry on as normal. Yeah. yeah. And and over here, when there were the bushfires early on in the year, I was really torn as to whether I should even come and do my show here right. because it felt like, is it disrespectful to be promoting a comedy show? When Not at all. No, yeah. but every every Australian yeah. I spoke to was like, no, bring it over. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've already booked it, in, like if you're booking it in now, see maybe a bit, you know. The koalas minute. weren't going to buy tickets anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You're okay. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's, I can understand that, that turmoil that yeah. you're, you're sort of like, and, and I'm not even undressed, so I can understand that you maybe like felt a bit more like is this going to be disrespectful? Is this going to cause? Well, it was either that or you. I decided to feel more like Bob Hope slinging the golf clubs over the shoulders and you know going into the war zone. 
that's the way we right. sort of we took to it and, and there were a lot of worked. yeah there's a lot of people that we just people in the street you know when they heard her accent would just say thank you for being there yeah yeah you know that sort of stuff it was really interesting because New Yorkers are notorious for not speaking to people yeah yeah right? hard so people I, I can just remember quite a number of times people coming up to us and saying why are you here thanks for being here and you know it was immigration really, officers yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was really it was a it was a very interesting time to be in New York. That's for sure. Definitely. So so okay. So how how often are you doing the show at this point? Is it every night? Uh, Except Mondays. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm wondering whether there's a two limit shows to how two many shows on the weekend usually too. I think mm. it was. Oh, like a matinee and a yeah. yeah. Oh, seven and I'd say seven. Seven and nine. nine. Yeah. So is there a limit to how often you can do this show physically? Not I didn't really. want to. I didn't want to do it anymore. Like the West End was the first time that we'd really like done eight shows. Like it was the first time we'd really done two shows a day, uh, continually. I think we maybe did two shows in one day in Edinburgh, right? Where we did an extra show yeah. in the theatre, like one day. You've got to learn to back off and just you know be a little more careful with your stuff, mm. with, your, with your package, yeah, yeah. with your props, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It also became interesting because we would, I, I remember clearly like being on stage and going, oh, hang on, I've already done this bit. And it was like, yeah, oh no, yeah. did I do it in the earlier show or am I doing it in the next show? Shit, oh, yeah. what bit am I up to? It was like, yeah, you have to. You, you go into this, like, you know what, you just go into the the zone and you can, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hell, I've said that today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a weird chance because also like, I don't know if you, because I also go through some stuff if like I felt like it didn't go well the last time or, or even if I felt like I stumbled over my words. So I would have done it in the morning in an afternoon show and then a bonus show. Right. Yeah. And by the bonus show, you're, especially if like, or, or like if you're doing I don't know if you do this, but like if I do like short club spots or whatever, if I, by the time I get to the third one, about 10 minutes into it, I'm like, Oh, what oh. am I up to? Yeah, 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 yeah. and then they can feel that. They're like, oh, he's losing confidence. You're like, I'm not losing confidence, I'm losing my place. Yeah, that's right. Like right, right. A massive difference, yeah. yeah. Well, it's lucky, but because we have, uh, our structure is, you know what's coming after the next trick, and we sort of have broken these tricks down into sections, mm -hmm. and they they naturally follow each other. So, you know, we've got, we've got that structure to fall back on. Completely, completely. So, okay, so we're in 2002, I think you said. Yep. Right, you're, you're doing uh, New York. Yep. And and where's next? What's 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 been your plan next, and what's actually come up? Well, after New York, we we got another team in New York to keep that going, and then we moved oh, okay, to so LA. Okay, so you trained someone up while you were there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. We were constantly training people. Yeah. Up, constantly. It's like Fight Club. You're constantly getting yeah, your yeah. friends. So where, wherever we wherever we went, we got we did the auditions. Right. And we got yeah, as we said, we had. I think by the end of 2004, we'd already we'd already had 40 people on stage by that stage. Right. You know, four years after we after we'd uh, actually been to Edinburgh, mm -hmm. we'd had so, that many people on stage. So after New York, we decided that we wanted to conquer LA, the other coast, right. and and from there you would start moving your way around. That was you know usually how it was done. Mm -hmm. So we um, we had a season at the Coronet Theatre. Mm -hmm. Um, which is now Largo. As a, oh, it was yeah, a lovely yeah. little 300-seat theatre right in the middle there in, in Hollywood. And then, um, luckily, on, I think, our opening night, 
we have an audience participation section of the show where we get someone up to do a thing called the fruit bat where mm. you know i would do a handstand and you get them to hold your ankles up in the air it's, mm. it's hilarious but this t- this woman that we invited up it was her birthday she was also the talent booker on the tonight show <laughs> okay. um and so next thing you know we found ourselves booked on the tonight show right which was huge our friend and I had already set up some more boys in LA. Mm. So we had a team in New York, a team in LA, and friend and I went to San Francisco to conquer that. And we were due to go on the, the Tonight Show about a week and a half later. While we're up there in San Francisco, we went on Cron TV. Um, can, I is, just, yeah. so can I just check? Was that your first American like primetime TV spot then? Um, We've done some. We've done bits and pieces, stuff. but the Tonight Show was that's it. That's pretty big. That was yeah, yeah. That, no, I'm, that, just, I'm just wondering what else had built you up at that point. Maybe you know, because if it's your if you're first and you've not done any others, that's a big. Start we'd done Howard Stern yeah. in New York. Okay. Um, we'd done a couple of regional things. We'd done a couple of these daytime shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but this was this was the you know they were your this was the one big yeah. league. Yeah, they tipped you over the edge. Kind Absolutely. Of. Okay. Right. And so then we. Um, um, we were doing this Cron TV breakfast show and there was two female hosts. We were there in our capes having a bit of a chat and then halfway through they say, listen, we still don't really know what you're doing. We blocked it out with them. We're going to stand up. We're going to open our capes. We'll do a few tricks. You just show their reactions, the hostess's mm-hmm. reactions, um, and shoot us from the waist up, Elvis style. Mm. Now, the cameraman or the director has completely messed up. We were unaware of this, but Friendy's Eiffel Tower has gone right across Greater California Breakfast at 8.30 in the morning. Um, we were escorted and from the TV station. We had no idea. We had no idea what was going on. They just went, right, you're just like everything went black. Mm. It's like... It's like, oh, what's happened? And then as soon as we got in the car, our publicist started getting phone calls and we we realized what had happened. The station had gone to black and the, this the was, a, gone out. It was a big breakfast. It, yeah. was, it was a big no, thing. Was a penis um, and then, you know, the, the NBC executives started telling Jay Leno, well, listen, because the TV station blamed us. They said we did it as a, as a PR stunt. We're saying, mm, that's not true. We don't need to do that. Um, and Leno was told that he couldn't have us on. So, to his credit, he said, no way, these guys are fine. Mm. Got us back in for another chat, um, made sure that we were gonna, you know, we weren't gonna do something similar again, and had us on. And for the night that we were on, for the first time in the history of The Tonight Show, Salt Lake City, their affiliate there, refused to take The Tonight Show for one night only because we were on. Oh. And that didn't happen back through any of the you know, Rolling Stones or anything like that, it was amazing. Yeah. So, um, We've got that to be thankful for. <laughs> yeah, because I imagine censoring you actually helps in a weird way. Oh, look, I mean, the, the press that we got out of that was amazing. But once again, appearing on The Tonight Show, and we got three nights of blanket coverage because the night before we were on, Jay Leno was talking about us. The night we are on, and then the night after we were on, he was talking about us. Yeah. So this was huge. Arsenio Hall came to the actual show and was in, interviewed in the... In the in, like in the foyer and interviewed people it just mm. it went for ages it was fantastic. but then but then after that you would expect okay well this is huge for them but then the uh bush government changed the the laws the decency laws in broadcasting mm. and it went from a thirty thousand dollar fine for indecency to over three hundred thousand dollars for the producer for the performer 
and for the broadcaster. So it was nearly a million dollar fine all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. So whereas all these radio stations and TV stations and even newspapers running our ad, they all had to pretty much shut down. So as we reached oh, wow. our peak in America, we got shut out. Yeah, it was all around that same time of the uh, Nipplegate as well. Yeah, yeah. And that was that. all tied in together. It was that. It was like we we were actually mentioned in the in the court documents. Yeah. Of there Nipplegate. was two big events. Yeah. There was Nipplegate and Friendy's Balls. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's yeah cuz it sort of it sort of feels like um yeah, because TVs are obviously they've got the watershed hour and they've got the sort of limitations on mm. what you can do, but uh, it doesn't feel like and you know it, it's obviously you're not trying to, you don't you don't sort of need to do that I mean, even at the start of the show you say you know we're going to do the reveal to get rid of that shock value yeah. because it doesn't ever feel like that's what you're wanting wanting from this you you actually want it to be yeah. the tricks not the shock value of it absolutely yeah yeah mm. yeah absolutely I mean and if for, for me the half the joke of, <laughs> half the joke of this has been trying to sell it as art mm. that's that's the funny thing for me right. and so that's what i insist that we keep pushing you know we need to be serious about the installations we're creating and you know i mean and once you do that after 10 minutes you're pretty much just you know you're forgetting that it's a it's a penis and a couple of testicles it could be someone's elbow you know yeah, totally. you get desensitized to it um yeah, I, I was wondering whether you know if you get many repeat... Oh, God, I was trying so hard not to make that make a noise, and then, I'm sorry, there was only... There was some more I can get. A couple. If you're urinating at the table, Chris. <laughs> Friendly. Uh, um, do you get many repeat viewers? Like, do people come back? Or is it, what, is it like once you've seen it, you've seen it? What we find is that most people who come back are bringing, as we said earlier, bringing a, gr a group of people back Mm. that they want to watch their reactions to, to the mm. show. It's not like a show that, you you know, we've got good friends with Arj Bark and people go oh, and yeah. see Arj's show every time he comes out. People don't necessarily do that with us. Mm. They'll come to the show, they'll get their shock, mm -hmm. and then they want to see what their mum, how their mum reacts or their best friend reacts or... Yeah. Sometimes they'll do a hen's night or something like we, that. We like to joke that anyone comes more than three times that gets a restraining order. <laughs> but you know, when we were in Perth recently, there was this uh, there was a gentleman that insisted on sitting in the front row, and he was there for like six, seven shows in a row. And you know, the the venue was saying, you know, do you want us to ban him? And I said, is he paying his forty five dollars? Well, then let him come again. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> I'll take his money. Yeah. It was harmless. He was, just, yeah. he was obsessed by the show. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's one of those ones where, again, like I said, it either turns on the people that turns on, it turns off the people that turns off. Yeah. And and I can imagine that the goggle box, I don't know if you have that over here yeah. with a goggle box, yeah. where it's now becoming, and I think YouTube's got a lot to answer for for that, because there's a lot of like reacting to my old video videos and, and all that sort of um, yeah. looking back on yourself type thing. And I suppose... I can never get the shock again of watching you for the first time, but I can get the shock of watching my mum see you for the first time. You get for the joy, the, exactly. the joy of watching your mum have the shock. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I can see that completely. Because um, obviously, if not, you would potentially have run out of viewers by now. Well, no, because, because there's uh, you'd be this, amazed what a big world it is out there. There's yeah. a lot of people, and that's what that's Maybe you know, why we said numbers. I'm reflecting. Right, on. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we bump into like over four million people living in Adelaide now. A tiny, minuscule percentage of those have been to see our show. That's right. right. 
So, yeah, it's a big world out there, and you just got to keep slugging away at it. Every couple of years, the, you know, there's a new group of adults coming through mm. that n- haven't seen the show. You know, we started 20 years ago, and the, you know, our peak of numbers back uh, in the, the, the early uh, 2000s and up to, you know, 2010s, that sort of, that sort of period... Mm. That's ten years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Those people were eight years old. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Totally. So there's all those people that they're still out there that haven't seen it. Yeah. How long do you think you two can do it for? Like, is there a point where you think? I mean, obviously, it comes back to that reflection question from the West End. But is there only a point where you think, actually, I, I, I can't do this anymore, or I think at my age, I don't want to do it anymore? Like, is there any yeah, of those I, thoughts that you've had? I was reluctant to come back, uh, but look, it's been okay. Uh, I always worried that, you know, I'd have to be wheeling my ball bag around in a wheelbarrow. I thought, because we stretch it so much, I thought it'd be, you know, knocking around our knees. And I thought that would be the actual reason that we'd have some sort of uh, physical limitation. But, Mm. uh, you know, we still seem to be holding together right now. I I mean, you know, the the shows are going as as well as they ever did have. I mean, luckily, there's one part of us that hasn't wrinkled, so. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I I enjoy the stagecraft of it. I enjoy getting out there. I enjoy the juices flowing and coming up with new material. Um, And, you know, it it just gets me in a better headspace, you know, for my life. I live in a very rural situation, so I need a a good excuse to get out and about occasionally. So, um, you know, I, I think... I mean, I, I don't know how much longer for, but at the moment we're enjoying it. Mm. And, you know, we um, I'm happy to do another year or two. Um, but then at that some point, I think we're going to have to, you know, think Hang up. about yeah, someone else doing it. Hanging up the cape. Yeah. Um, I also read that you had a one-off special in 2012 TV special, like you did the whole show. Was that right? No. Uh, not a TV special. Uh, there's Look, we've... In 2000, we... Well, 2001, we recorded uh, our live show. Yeah, we have a live DVD, but uh, uh, it might have been broadcast on Australian TV, but I'm not sure. Oh, maybe that's the, um, yeah. the documentary of us, uh, because we Tackle filmed... Happy, that Tackle one? Happy, yeah. that, okay. that was 98. That was the very first tour. We filmed the whole, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's been... I know that's been on UK TV, and it's mm-hmm. been on Australian TV, but not for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, ignore that bit then. There, there was... That was gonna... There was an HBO special that they recorded in about 2001 as well, mm-hmm. uh, and that sometimes gets a rerun. Mm. I've heard, and not they, here though. Yeah, not here. But I've, you know, every now and again you'll get someone saying, "Oh, I saw your thing on TV the other day on mm. some obscure channel." But yeah, I don't think there's, I don't think there's been anything recently. No, okay. I, I only wanted to know whether. Uh, you'd ever pitched for something like Netflix or Amazon Prime, and whether you think you know that that would be an appropriate platform for. Well, we're, we're doing that at the moment. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then Netflix okay is just starting up in Australia, and we're hoping that they're going to be subjected to local content laws, which means they have to have a percentage of yeah. local product. Or all yeah. of them. So, all those. Um, all those overseas companies. So, so yeah. that's what we're. Uh, that's what we're ready, ready and poised to jump on. Are you allowed, can we talk about that? Is it- uh, you, you can. I mean, you know, I've, I'm working with a production company that is, um, and you know, we've we've come up with an idea where it will be basically stories that led me up to go, doing puppetry of the penis, mm-hmm. and it would be mixed with stories from the road, um, a little before and after, jumping around with timelines. Mm-hmm. So we're we're sort of developing that at the moment and working on characters. 
a bit like your Jerry before Seinfeld, if you've seen that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. S- sort of similar to that, you know, but with sort of splashes of, you know, have you seen Get Shorty? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's sort of like a dark comedy drama. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was wondering whether, because obviously, um, yeah, I, I only wondered whether, given that your social media stuff is getting limited because of yep. the nature of it, whether Netflix or whether Amazon Prime or any of those demand players would be more the area you could get the well, word Well, we're trying. From. We're trying. Yeah. I mean, I've been trying to get a, a film script off the ground for mm. uh, 10 years. Mm. Um, we've, we've never done the drama thing, but that's what we're developing now. And, you know, hopefully I'll have some good news for you in about three or four months. <laughs> well, I'll get you back on the yeah, yeah. thing about then. Um, what, what other things do you... I mean, do you ever feel restricted by the act? Do you ever feel like you're tied into it? And you can't go off and do solo stuff. Like, is there any not not at all drawbacks? No, no we've both got our you know separate lives. I mean, I've got a couple of other projects that I'm working on at the moment. Um, I did a TV show a few years ago. It was ten years ago now. No, no, didn't interfere. Like, wasn't really mentioned. So, so were your original fears about your face? Like, be, I mean, obviously with a day job, it might have been founded, but in terms of I, your brother, for example, saying it might ruin his career, do you think those fears are actually quite unfounded? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, um, look, I, I did. I did mine as a bit of as half as a joke, as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, when I was when I was working at Norwich, that wasn't a joke. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't long, but I reckon I did one show. And then I got retrenched from Norwich, so yeah. it didn't last long anyway, so it didn't really matter. Because I, I, when I was thinking about this pod, I was thinking, if you, I know you said you probably couldn't start it now, but if you had started now, there probably would be like camera phone footage of your first gig that would have gone out. Absolutely. So, so you maybe wouldn't have got the freedom yeah. to develop it under undercover. Yeah. And I, and I wonder whether you've right. ever thought about that. Well, when, when, we first, when we first recorded our live dvd it was like i was really strict on trying to not let it get out on the internet Mm -hmm. because my thought was well you know if people see the actual show Mm. then they won't go to the show and is that i mean you found because no well i mean you don't know but i think some people would be be like that Mm. but i mean think about nanette a lot of people have seen nanette but they still go and watch nanette Uh, yeah it's it's a show. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, no, I I'm I'm just curious as to uh, whether it does have an. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of. Um, I think it was Bill Burr was talking about it on a podcast recently, where he said, you know, I would go to a. Oh, maybe it was Doug. It was someone like that who said, I went to a town and told them, you know, I you know, I gave them DVDs to put online to say next time I'm back, you know, here's the sort of thing I do. And and that sort of helped build their their base in little cities beyond the one right. show they could do. Yeah. And so and and being being that your act has come up through no internet, no, no social media, and now has both. Whether whether these sort of things have ever, you know, you've ever reflected about how you maybe would have marketed it differently, how mm-hmm. you would have dealt, how may, how maybe you would have used social media earlier on. Maybe I don't know whether it, I think we would have been even more banned. Okay. You know what I mean? Because we didn't have any profile. If we had no profile, we would have been really, really shut down. Like where, because we've actually got, we do have a profile, millions of people have seen the show. That's the only, but it's probably yeah. still well, there. We're now, now in a situation where 
people are coming to the show saying, oh, my mum and dad saw you 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, they're actually getting recommendations from their parents. Right. Yeah. So that's that's what we're in. I don't, the, social, the whole social media thing, I mean, um, it's, 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 it's a plus for us in some ways, but it's also a huge hindrance. Yeah. Um, I must say, I do miss the idea, the old days where you can rock into a town, spend three grand and have, get a quarter page out in the local rag and everyone knows you're there. Mm. Whereas, you know, we don't have any of these options anymore. Right. We can't advertise on social media. No one reads the local rags. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's a problem. No, completely. Are there any places you find that it doesn't sell? Um... It all depends. I mean, when I'm touring around the UK, there's local, you know, you're very much at the back and call of your local theatre. It depends mm. on how much they're going to pu push it to their mm. local community. Some yeah. of them don't even put your posters up in the foyer and they'll really? back off and you'll end up with just 200 people. You can really notice it when they haven't put the yeah. posters up. Mm. But those that really get behind it and they tweet it out and they use their Facebook page, uh, you know, to the full advantage, well, then you can end up with 800 people. So it's we, we really, I mean, this is a dangerous thing, but you really are at the beck and call of the, the theatre managements now. Mm. So you, you don't have... Uh, maybe a mailing list that's specific to city to city to make it easier for you to advertise and not have to be on there. Not really. I mean, we've okay. got we've got people on you know people that like our page. We've got like you know twenty five thirty thousand people on you know Facebook and stuff like that. Mm. But they're scattered from all over the world, yeah. and you know we can't we can't target them. We can't boost mm. them. But you know we can post stuff and, and, and it and it goes back to it. it goes back to that single use type of thing as well, where you know let's say a thousand people come to the show a mm. hundred of those people might come back mm -hmm. and go again yeah so if we've got a mailing list it sort of doesn't it doesn't really yeah translate to numbers no i get that and and when you're deciding what to do next i, I, I mean we're talking like live now not necessarily online what's your aim for the show do you do it how did you pick adelaide what 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 goes through your mind when you're saying should we go here well for me it was i've been living in the uk so to get out of the england this time of year is an absolute blessing agreed <laughs> but i did i wanted yeah i i wanted you know because friendy and i hadn't done the show for a while together i thought doing a festival environment where we can do it every night and get our you know our chops back up so that was the plan behind doing this and you know then in a comfortable way we i just wanted to do one more lap of australia um and you know sort of a, a farewell tour another one um and i was hoping to get my kids out later in the year early next year and you know they can as i'm going down the coast they can come and see a bit of you know the great brown land mm. that's that's the rough plan but we're just sort of at the moment we're just sort of you know taking it easy <laughs> we're doing it in a very gentle you know um relaxed manner definitely what what drives you at the moment then what what's your driving force for me i i'm still trying to push to make the show the best it can possibly be and i'm using you know i like having my flying hours up so i can use these creative juices to push other projects that I want to do, which, you know, be it pitching to Amazon or Netflix or something like that. Um, it helps being active in the show and active in the moment to, you know, to conjuring up these stories and making it work. Um, I just get told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> just turn up and get your deck out. <laughs> Usually by my wife, but at the moment it's Simon. Yes. 
Freddie and I are both in a both in a situation now where it's uh, we can actually get our wives saying, "Go get your husband. Go yeah. get your cock out, husband." Yeah. What do you? Are, are you friends beyond the show then? Um. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, we we met through making shapes out of our genitals. Mm. That's been the basis of what we do <laughs> over the years. And you know, Freddie and I always like to think that we're like. We're a couple of guys that wouldn't necessarily have been, you know, best buddies unless we hadn't gone in, gone to war together and ended up in the trenches together. What we mm. went through, no one else has gone through something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're bonded by a very unique experience and, you know, it's a, it's a big chunk of time as well. Mm. Yeah. So what do you think is the, the, the sort of your secret, at least, to the longevity of a, of a double act? You, um, need your, you need your own time. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have your own space because when you are literally, I mean, friendy and I were, you know, what started out as like let's take the show to Edinburgh for a month, ended up being about five years literally living together day mm. and night, and so you know, in any, I mean, I think Martin Lewis, who was it, Alexi Sale said this. He said, in every great comedy duo, you've got one person that will go out and, you know spend way too much time with the ladies and take all the drugs and drink way too much and wake up with a hangover and do it all again and there'll be someone else that'll go home and diligently write and construct the material (laughs) and you know you look at martin lewis and abbott and costello that was the case and what did he say he said that's why hail and pace is such a shit show because they're both going out and (laughs) And i think that was friendy and i in in many respects we both went out and gave it a good old-fashioned caning but we were lucky enough that our product was unique enough and strong enough that you know we could uh, we could do it in a very blurry way. And the looseness was part of the charm. Yeah, mm, I can see that. Were there any opportunities that you had to turn down along the way by by being in this show that you regret turning down? Not really. I mean, we were flying high and doing living such a wonderful life. I mean, every man travels of traveling the world, get his cock out for an hour a night and get yeah. paid rather well. Um, and that's what we were doing. I missed out on being a computer programmer. Like, COBOL was, you know, the year 2000 problem. That's like... <laughs> You could have solved the Millennium Bug, you know. You were still you were still punching cards when they were pr- 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 computer programming. Yeah. No, year two thousand was my language. Months. I've actually got a degree in computing. That's why. I, like, computer yeah. science. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, they so, used to yeah, punch yeah. cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine was two thousand and nine. Yeah, I I graduated in nineteen ninety four. Oh, okay. The year the year before Windows came out. Oh wow! <laughs> I feel like your degree was slightly different to mine. Uh huh. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, it was all first-gen languages. Oh, yeah. Were, were there any things that you said yes to that you now regret saying yes to? Um, I can't say I have any regrets. You know, it, it, we've made bad still decisions, here. but th- things, you know, they're things you learn from. Mm. Um, but you can't live your life with regrets. I mean, you know, we've been in situations where people have ripped us off and, you know, but they're... they're We've signed things we probably shouldn't have signed, but you live and you learn, and you can't torture yourself over that. You've mm. just got to move on. It's not going to do your head any good. Mm. Well, last quick fire questions. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So, um, what's one unpopular opinion you have about the comedy industry? Reviewers. I think I think they should be. Just they, 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 <laughs> they should be reviewing. They should be telling you know the, the reader how the people in the theatre enjoyed it. I mean, I've been in rooms where, yeah, you know, I've seen people side-splitting, laughing and crazy, and then you get some hacked-out performer who, you know, 
could never quite cut it and is now reviewing shows and they start dis- dissecting their material when they should be just saying look people really had a great time mm. I mean A.A. Gill A.A. Gill I was going to say he did a, a wonderful hatchet job on us for the for Sunday Times and it was a two page hatchet job just saying you know I think his opening line was what was the was, ugly wrinkly was, piece of skin attached to the end of the penis well in Pop the Penis's case it's Simon Morley and David Friend yeah. um, but then right at the thanks, end of the article yeah. he did mentioned that his wife had the time of her life yeah, oh, yeah so, and everyone yeah, was yeah, cacking yeah. themselves and it's like there's there's so many times where you get that where every single person in the entire theater was just pissing themselves laughing mm. except for the reviewer yeah who's yeah. trying to intellectualize what you're doing it's like oh fuck off <laughs> <laughs> i think that there was one on the there was one we had that was very similar to that it was like uh you know every single other person seems to be laughing but i can i hated it you know, there was like, I just well, then didn't review what, what they were laughing at. It was yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, then review the fucking audience, not the your yeah. own opinion. Yeah, I get that. Um, so a lot of a lot of performers, like comedians, will call themselves comedians, but they might make more money from writing, for example. So mm. so they're, they're, the way they identify themselves is different to the way they financially would identify themselves. How would you like? What would say? What would it say on your business card? But what would your bank manager say you actually are? We're dick trickers. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you define. Uh, and 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 producers, oh, performers, yeah. producers. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I got sick of being asked what my profession was years ago, <laughs> going through airports. I tell everyone I'm a dolphin trainer nowadays, <laughs> helicopter pilot. Yeah. I, I say theatre producer because no one ever asked me to tell them a play. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to say comedian. They tell us a joke. No, well, no, fuck off. No, no, no. I've uh, just been on a long haul flight for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What is the biggest mistake you've ever made, and how did you overcome it? I think the greatest mistakes can be... You've never made a mistake. It, 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 it What's can the be, mistake you've ever made? <laughs> it can be getting to bed with the wrong people, you yeah. know. Um, but, you know, these people for a while serve their purpose, but then things change and, you know, uh, I, I think my advice would be never, ever sign anything without proper representation and knowing yeah. exactly what you're going into because when you sign these pieces of paper it's you know that's it these people own a chunk they of hold it. they hold you to it so uh yeah th- it would be all my regrets are in a legal manner okay yeah. i shouldn't have ridden away from the police without my bike helmet the other day you probably shouldn't have <laughs> yeah. um what are the biggest misconceptions people have about what you do i think it's a sex show okay yeah, a lot of people think it's very sexual, but you know the the truth of the matter is there's nothing more unsexual than flaccid male genitalia, yeah. and laughter, you know, and laughing at at the genitalia. Yeah. yeah, anyone who can get slightly aroused while you know there's hundreds of people laughing at them, they're not for us. Do you think the Do you think the the bachelorette nights that you do in Vegas have contributed to that? Because nah, because it's still not well, sexual. I, 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 only no, people, but I mean they could they could misunderstand. That's what I mean by misunderstanding. Yeah. When, when, yeah. when you say we do bachelorette nights, you occasionally get bachelorette parties coming to yeah. our audiences. Yeah. So then it's not all bachelorettes. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. they're not specifically bachelorettes. Yeah. Right. Okay, I'm but we we uh, we market to them because it's a group of girls coming yeah. to the show. Yeah. And again, it's like when when I did it. 15 20 years ago mm. it was because those girls don't want the sexy in your face yeah. sexual stuff yeah. uh, and the, you know and the you know the guys with the 
sticks and uh, you've just finally made a stuff. commitment to the man you've loved and the last thing you want is you know some buffed up guy with shaving cream down a g-string <laughs> sticking it in your face yeah <laughs> no totally, totally. You know? um, what's the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see Keep it, keep it clean. I mean, yeah, we'll be. <laughs> uh, I make sausage. You make I, real sausage? I, I, I make real people sausages. Get to, people really? get to see that. People though. get to eat them. No, yeah. but, no but not everybody. Well, Only a select few. I make beer and I make cider and all sorts of stuff like that. And we, we've got little cottage industries. Yeah. <laughs> I make jam. I make a lot of jam and sauce. Oh. All right, now he's been filthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who do you think is the most underrated person in the industry? Underrated. Well, Phil you can't say you, just like you. No. <laughs> Phil is underrated. Oh, Phil Nickel would definitely be one of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Phil's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And, you know, we should be seeing him on all these panel mm. shows and he should be popping up absolutely. everywhere. He should be allowed to, you know, write his own TV shows. Um, He's an absolute gem mm. of a performer. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant, he's clever, he's smart, and he's a hell of a guy. And he, he's very... he's wonderful you know the way he helps out other comedians and younger people coming up oh, yeah. you know he's a mentor i mean yep he should be he, yeah he should be one. a superstar yeah no he's always been amazing to me and yeah. Yeah. and i yeah i love him to bits what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it i, I haven't really been around for a while so okay. you know i've i've really only just stepped back in uh, it's really weird because i'm stepping back in now and all the guys that were up and coming are now selling out big rooms yeah, yeah, yeah you know what i mean it's, that's the difference in 10 years so mm. I, I i really don't know yeah i i you know i've i've got faith that you know cream floats <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> you know it. if you're good enough and you soldier on and you work on your craft you'll get there mm. but you know a lot of it is choosing your representation wisely you know i mean in australia we've got a couple of management outfits and you know if you're with one you're going to probably get a job on radio here and if you're with another you'll get a job there um so work out what you want to do and get in the right camp definitely definitely um what's one thing you wish you were better at sausage making <laughs> oh no i'm pretty good at that i'm pretty any any better at that and yeah <laughs> um, you just do that yeah. you'd be a butcher um oh god there's lots of things you're probably better off asking my wife that question yeah (laughs) okay well the next cleaning yeah cleaning (laughs) um yeah i'm awful well the next question was going to be uh what's one thing you think you're great at dinner parties dinner party okay yeah yeah i'm a great dinner party guest oh yeah (laughs) guest i can nail hosting i fucking hate oh no i'm a pretty good host yeah i can do it yeah yeah i'm I'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a chef and um and i got no shortage of good stories so i'm very good at i'm very good at beer wine soft or not wine soft um Cider, soft, soft what? Cider, I was going to say soft. I nearly <laughs> said beer, wine, and soft drink, but no beer, beer and uh, cider. I'm really good at. I've got. Mm. I've been making tomato sauce and plum sauce for close on twenty years, and I've pretty much nailed that. Nice. Yeah. Um, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? If mm. it smells like shit, it usually is shit. <laughs> um, and that goes for everything in yeah. contracts. Yep. In people you're dealing with, in doesn't matter that it's rolled in glitter. It smells like shit. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> for, for me, I think the best advice would be don't die wondering. Yeah. yeah. Have a have a red hot go. Whatever you're gonna do, have a proper go at it, mm. 
and let failure be your best friend you know sometimes mm. you you know don't be scared of failure no. you know all all every great show was a shit show for you know a good six months before it turned into a great show so you've got to go through that pain barrier don't be frightened of that completely well my, my last question was going to be if you could go back to any point in your career and give yourself any advice that you have now when would it be and what would it be and it feels like that would have been yours but there'd you can give a, a different answer there'd be a don't sign it somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't there's sign a, that one there's a couple of don't sign them right <laughs> I just I just you know I, I just wish I'd been wearing mittens and you know <laughs> I mean now you don't even sign anything do you no nah. god just hit reply on email. Yeah, it, sure. Yeah, it's amazing what that little squiggly line. There was one. There was one that I didn't sign, and it, the the chain reaction after that, we got so much uh, stuff of our own back from not signing one thing uh, because I didn't trust it because mm. it to me it smelt like shit. Yeah, follow your gut instinct. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for coming on. That's no a pleasure, worries. mate. Thanks for having us. That was puppetry of the penis. I loved hearing about how they've had to work around such negative issues, including being banned from venues and towns, as well as losing their Facebook and Twitter profiles on multiple occasions. I loved hearing about how they're franchising the show and how they're able to essentially train up other people to do it so they can earn money when they sleep, but they can also do multiple shows in different parts of the world at the same time. I think we'd all love to do that if we could sell them, obviously. There's no fun doing seven shows in different continents if you're not selling them. But it was just fascinating and really exciting to hear and it really uh, sort of reflected some of the stuff that I spoke about with Tapeface in my podcast with him which if you're interested in listening to uh, I would scroll back and give that a listen if you also are after more con if you're also after if you're after more con- I've been in for so long gang seriously I'm getting cabin fever if you are looking for more content I would recommend the Tapeface episode but I'd also recommend the one with Jeremy Dyson and Sam Bain who talked a lot about similar things than the subjects in this podcast. If you've got some money and you'd like to keep this podcast going and you'd like me to not go hungry, I would massively appreciate it. Uh, I know I'm laying on the um, please give me a donation a little thicker than usual, but uh, I'm stuck indoors and it's my only means of income. So if you would like to donate via PayPal, uh, there is a link in the show notes and it's a one-off. If you would like to become a Patreon from $1 per episode, is this worth ATP? I bloody think it is. Check it out. There's a link in the show notes as well. I've also started a new podcast called Simon Kane Quarantined. It's a almost daily, it's quite regular, uh, podcast with a little bit of chatter from me talking about uh, the coronavirus, talking about the news, talking about anything positive I can come up with on the day that kind of tries to stop us from going insane. So if you would like to give that a listen, there's a link in the show notes to that. The Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.